Good morning. All right. I love that. Every time I'm over here. Um, my name is Matt. Uh, I am the student pastor here. Um, work with 6th through 12th grade. Um, and yes, I, I do love that because when I say anything, especially on a Sunday morning at 9.15, good morning to a bunch of teenagers, I get, if they look up from their phones. Um, so uh, yeah, we're going to have a great time this morning. I want to talk about a story worth telling, a story worth sharing, because um, I believe that there is power in our story. There's power in what God has done in our life. And so I want to encourage us to share our story, to live a life that's worth sharing. Um, when we did this in the student ministry, this was a significant um, series that we did because we had so many of our students start sharing their story from the stage and also with each other. And it was a powerful, powerful time. And so as we go through this, I want you to think about your story and evaluate your story and opportunities that you might have to share your story in the one that God has given you. And so we're going to talk about stories. For social media is how we tell our stories in 2019. Um, Instagram and Snapchat are the two big ones that teenagers use, and they have a story. Facebook is catching up, but you post your pictures to your story, and people can come and they can see what's going on in your life, and you post to your story on Instagram and Snapchat. Uh, statistics tell us that somewhere between 50 and 60 million pictures a day are posted just to Instagram. Just to Instagram, 50 to 60 million pictures. And I think a whole lot of them come from my teenagers. <laughs> but it's anything you could imagine that they post on Instagram. It's a picture of the fish that they caught this afternoon, or it's their favorite hobby, or their pet, their dog, their cat, whatever. It's the cup of coffee they drank for breakfast. Maybe it's their hiking trip or their disc golf shot where they made an ace. I don't know. It's anything that they want to post. Sometimes you may see somebody's car or they post that picture of their new driver's license, a beautiful sunset scenery, or maybe, just maybe, they'll post a scripture or something about God. And I'm talking about teenagers, but the truth is we all share stuff. And even in 2019, most of you probably have some form of social media. Even if you don't post to it, you go check out other people. Maybe your grandkids or, or your kids or whatever's going on in their life. And you have some form of social media. So you know what I'm talking about. Because when you start to look at all the random pictures that people post and you start to look at their story, it starts to come together and starts to tell who a person is. It's not really random. It's who they are. It's what matters to them. And all these pictures that they post are part of their story. It's who we are. And so I think about when we post those pictures, we only want to post pictures that are worth sharing. You with me? Nobody wants to post a bad picture. We were at the lake this week with the teenagers, and at the end of the day, people are sending me pictures so that I can uh, put them up on the Facebook page for parents to see. And for whatever reason, one of my adults took two very, very bad pictures of me. Why? I have no idea. But they sent them to me, I don't know, like I was going to post it, 
no way, because we're only going to post pictures that make us look good. In fact, if you were to take a selfie of yourself, if you're under the age of 40, maybe, and you are a male in the room, statistics tell me that you will take four selfies before you're willing to post it. It will take you four attempts to get it right before you're willing to post that on social media. Now, ladies, don't laugh too hard because your number is six. (laughs) Six pictures of yourself before it's good enough to actually go up for everybody else to see. Well, what about our lives? What story do our lives share? Because our stories share what is important to us. Our stories that we live share what we're doing each and every day. So what kind of picture is your life posting? Here's the thing, though. You don't get four shots. You don't get six chances. You only get one. And so what is your story being told by the picture that your life is sharing? Is it good pictures or bad pictures? You only get one shot at it. Well, I don't know about you, but I have an iPhone, and I take pictures on my iPhone regularly. My mom has the exact same iPhone. We got it the exact same time. And for whatever reason, her pictures are just not right. You know what I'm talking about? Her pictures are the ones where it's like, oh, look, I should take a picture of that. And it's this far zoomed out. And the, whatever she's taking a picture of is folk blurry and out of focus. And I'm like, mom, that picture's worthless. It's an iPhone. You should be able to figure this out. But it's not. It's always out of focus. And so I think that we can talk about how we can focus our lives to make the right pictures. We're going to look at Philippians 3, 13 and 14, and we're going to break it down um, over the next few minutes and look at some advice that Paul could give us to maybe live out better pictures with our life. It says out of the New Living Translation, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that today you would use your word, you would use um, your spirit in us to encourage us and challenge us, God, to live our lives in a way that glorifies you and tells your story for the world to see. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So if you've got your bulletin this morning, I put a simple outline in there for you. And so number one on there comes from the very first phrase in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, I focus on this one thing. So number one is make sure the focus is correct. Make sure the focus is correct. So when we look at pictures, sometimes the focus is out and it doesn't make a very good picture. So I've got an example here for us. This is the first picture that I found, and I don't know if my mom took this picture or not, but (laughs) you can see that the focus is not right. I don't know if it's focusing on some leaf in the background or whatever, but the whole thing appears to be blurry and out of focus. And so this is a I think, an attempt at one of those blurry background pictures. You know what I'm talking about? You put your iPhone in portrait mode, and you take a picture of yourself or somebody, and the person jumps out, and the background goes blurry. It looks like this. 
And so a good picture here where it is in focus, the main focus of the picture, you can see it jumps out and everything in the background just blurs. And so we want to make sure that we've got our focus right and our life is telling a consistent, easy to see story. And so we don't want that life with no purpose that shows everything to be blurry. Or we don't want the wrong thing in focus to where something is jumping out of the picture that we don't want. And so when we evaluate our lives, we have to start with what is in focus. We need to make sure that our focus is correct. So what is in focus in your life? When you start to evaluate and think about the picture that your life is sharing, what is in focus? Is it your job? Is your job the most important thing in your life? And when people see you, they see a person that works hard and does a good job at work. Is that what focus in your life? Maybe it's your kids. When they see you, they see how invested you are in your kids. And, and that's the only thing they can see is because you spend all your energy and effort on your kids. Maybe it's your hobby, whether that be fishing or whatever. And that's what you're focused on. And that's what people see when they see you is your hobby. Maybe it's a relationship or maybe it's just yourself. Maybe it's just yourself. What is focus? We want to make sure that the focus is correct. And so Paul says that we should focus on one thing. So that one thing is God. So where is God in the picture of your life? Is he in the center, in focus where he should be? Is he in the background somewhere? Can you barely see him? Where is God in your picture? Well, if you pulled out your bulletin earlier, I'm going to let you write some things down to kind of evaluate this, not only in your head, but on paper. So the first thing I want you to write down, just anywhere over there in some blank space, the top three priorities in your life. These are in your mind. Like what in your mind, in your world is the top three priorities? Give you just a second to write those three things down. This is the priorities, things that you really are important to you. What is your priorities? Three things. See, some people are writing and some people are staring. All right. So those are your top three priorities. Those are your top three priorities. Maybe you only got two. That's okay. Now, draw a line, make another column. Now I want you to write the top three things that you spend most of your time, energy, effort, and resources on. So priorities, that's in your mind. This is what's important to me. But this is reality. This is like what I actually spend my time on, what I actually spend my resources on. So write those three things down. The top three things that take your time, effort, energy, resources. Now compare them. Now I'm hoping since you're at church on a Sunday morning in July, not at the beach, that you wrote God somewhere on your first list. But I bet that when you start thinking about your time, energy, resources, 
there's a good number of people that God didn't make your second list. And that's when we start to look at the focus. And in some ways, in some ways, it's not always our fault because it's distractions. There are distractions in this world that take our focus off of what in our head we really say is our priority, what in our mind we really say is our priority, but we start to get distracted and we don't give it the place that it should. There's a great story in the Bible that talks about this. Luke chapter 10, starting verse 38, it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it is and it will not be taken away from her. She was distracted by all the things that needed to be done, distracted by the preparations. And we can get distracted by all the things that we need to get done, all the things in our life that keep us busy, and forget that Jesus said, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. One focus, just like Paul said, we need to focus on one thing. Can you relate to this? Can you relate to this? I know I can. We get so busy and my summer in student ministry gets so, so busy that I have to check myself because working for God doesn't always mean spending time with God or focusing on my relationship with God. And so I know I have to check myself. And so I'm challenging you today to check yourself as well. And what is the focus of the picture that your life story is telling? So first, we need to focus on the right things. Second, some things need to be cropped. Some things need to be cropped. You know how it is. Sometimes you take a picture and you crop it out before you're willing to share it with somebody at the lake days this week, we took lots of pictures of kids on the inner tubes before we threw them off. And because the pictures are so far away, sometimes you couldn't tell who the kids were. So we would crop them down so that the parents could see, oh yes, that's my kid, they're still alive. And so you have to crop some stuff out of your pictures in order to make it ready to share. So I've got some examples for you. Here's a first picture, a nice family photo at the beach. I know many of us have gone to take this picture, but this one had to be cropped before it was good. Let's see the original. <laughs> Looks like something one of my teenagers would do. All right, I got a second one for you. I don't know. Looks like they just got married on the dock and great picture, except <laughs> just going about his business. No problems here. All right, last one, last one. You know, vacation, you need that close-up selfie, but <laughs> that guy wanted to be in it too. 
So we got to crop our pictures. There's stuff that needs to come out. So let's go back to our Philippians passage. The second phrase after I focus on one thing says, forgetting the past, forgetting the past. Sometimes the past needs to be removed. Sometimes the past needs to be cropped out of our story. It never goes away. We know it's there, but it needs to be cropped out in a way that it is not affecting our story. It's not uh, keeping us from living the way that we need to live. It's not being a hindrance to the story that we want to tell with our life. And so we need to crop this stuff out, forgetting the past. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's something that has happened to you in the past. And because of that, now you struggle with your identity or you struggle with self-worth or or you struggle because of what has happened to you in the past. And you need to be able to crop that out to be who God has created you to be. Like I said before, maybe you're so busy that you don't have time for God and you need to crop some of something out of your schedule so that the story you're sharing is a story about God and not about your busy schedule. Maybe there's something tough going on at home and you need to forgive and crop that out and move on in your marriage. Maybe it's a failure in the past where you didn't get the promotion or you didn't make the team or you got looked over for something that you felt like you were doing and it is holding you back from pursuing the dreams and goals that God has given you, maybe it's stress, anxiety, depression, any of these things that so many people deal with that's holding you back. And you need to crop that out so that you can be who God has asked you to be. Or maybe it's something else for you that you're holding on to tightly that you're not letting go. Silly story here of the monkey trap. It's an interesting system that's been used for capturing monkeys in the jungle of Africa. The captors use coconuts or cages chained to a tree. They put a banana or other food that the monkey like in the trap with an opening just big enough for a monkey to squeeze its hand into. The captors will come back the next morning to find the monkey trapped. The monkey, attracted by the scent of the banana or food, sticks its hand into the trap and clenches the food. But with the fist closed, the monkey can't pull his hand out of the trap and is unwilling to let go of the food, so the monkey is stuck in the trap. I know it's a silly story, but I think it is a picture of what we do sometimes. We hold on to things and we won't let them go. We won't crop them out of our story in a way that it traps us, whether it's how being hurt, whether it's bitterness towards somebody of what they've done, anger over a situation that we've gone through, a mistake that we've made that we won't get past, insecurity, fear, whatever it is, we're holding on to it and it's keeping us from stepping out and telling our story. It's keeping us from stepping out and living the story that God has written for us. And so we need to crop out our past, let it go. Now, some of us, it may be something that needs to be cropped out in the present, It's not in the past, it's in the present. We're still living a life of sin that we're holding on to. We're still living in the moment and being disobedient to what God has called us to. And so we're holding on to that. And we need to crop out the disobedience. We need to crop out the sin that we're dealing with so that we can be what God has called us to be. I love this verse out of Isaiah 43. It says, forgetting the former things, do not dwell on the past.'" 
It's like Paul is writing out of Isaiah. It's amazing. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Did you catch that? I am doing a new thing. Not what happened in the past. Not what's holding you back. Not the sin that you're holding on to now. God wants to do a new thing in your life. A new thing that brings um, a way in the wilderness that you're going through right now. It brings streams in your wasteland that you're going through right now. And so God wants to do a new thing in you. And so we have to crop out some of the stuff from our past, or we need to crop out the sin that so entangles us so that we can get on board for the new thing that he wants to do in your life. Number three, we need to live a life worth telling. Live a life worth telling. I have a story for you. It's a story of a girl. She was raised in church. She had great parents and great family that had her there all the time, saved in vacation Bible school, and was there all the time. She was at every event, every activity, every time the doors were opened. When she got into the youth group, she was a leader. She was there for every event. She even sang on the praise team. Great girl. When she was a junior, she and another guy that had been raised in the church started dating. It was a match made in heaven. The two of them were great together. And the adults loved seeing them together because they knew that these two people got it. They were Christians. They were dating. And they honored God with their dating relationship. Shortly after high school, they decided to get married. And so they had a big church wedding, as you could imagine. They were the couple that everybody in the church knew. And so the place was packed. Big wedding. Everybody loved it. Unfortunately, it wasn't too long into the marriage they realized that the person they were as teenagers was not the same person they were as adults. They had different goals. They were going in different directions, and the marriage didn't last. So they ended up divorced. This girl was devastated. Not even 25 years old, she was already divorced, and she came back to the church, and the church loved on her and supported her and helped her through this difficult time. It wasn't long before another guy started chasing her, and she was flattered by that and ended up falling in love and getting married a second time. But it wasn't long till she realized that he only cared about the chase. He didn't really care about her or the marriage, and so he started chasing another girl. Devastated by the infidelity, she ended up being divorced a second time, not even 30 years old. She was embarrassed. She knows how the church feels about divorce, but she came back to her church, but only to a small group, a small group of people, because she was embarrassed. And so they supported her and helped her through that time. Well, it wasn't too long where she found a hardworking uh, man that was there for her and, and helped her through her time. And so she fell in love again and got married now for a third time. Unfortunately, being a hard worker that he was, that's all he was. He was a hard worker that was at his job all the time. Everybody knew he did a great job and he was workaholic and was never there for her. Knowing this wasn't what she wanted for her life, yet 
again, she's divorced. She was so embarrassed, so devastated. She still loved God. She still read her Bible and she prayed, but she just felt like she couldn't go back to church because the church would judge her. But she wanted to every once in a while, so she would slip in the back after the service started, sit in for the preaching, and then leave. Not really being connected to the church, she found another guy outside the church. Um, He was supportive, so they got married. Now she's in her fourth marriage. But this guy doesn't know God. And she still loves God, and she's still reading her Bible and wants to go to church, but he has no interest in that. And that whole unequally yoked did not work out for her. And so now she is divorced a fourth time. This time, she didn't even bother to go back to church because she'd been divorced four times. There was another guy that showed her attention, and at this stage of her life, she liked that, so yet again... She got married to the fifth husband. He wasn't the guy that she thought it was going to be, and the abuse started verbally at first, and of course it turned physical. And she was able to get out of that relationship, and she swore off marriage. Never again. Five times. There's no way that I'm going to get married again. But she did find a guy that loved her, and so they moved in together and carried on with their life. Now, why do I tell that story? Because I can feel the uncomfortableness in the room. Why would Matt tell a story that seems to have no hope? Why would Matt tell a story of a person that was married five times and is now living with somebody else? Well, you know this person. This is the story of the woman at the well. There's actually 42 verses written about the woman at the well. None of that was there, right? It was all there in one phrase that Jesus says. The statement you say is true. The man you're living with now is not your husband. In fact, you have had five husbands before. One sentence, that whole story. But sometimes I think we forget that the baggage of the woman at the well is that uncomfortable, is that difficult. The story changes when Jesus enters. The reason 42 verses in the book of John are committed to this story is because Jesus changes the story. Jesus influences the outcome to where it become, it ends like this, starting in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more believed. They said to the woman, no longer do we believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Because of her story, because of her testimony, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus. And so... We tell that story because I think all of us have baggage. All of us have a story that we're not proud of. But when Jesus enters the story, everything changes. When Jesus enters the story, the story is different. It can have impact. It can have influence. So when I told the story, I focused on the wrong part, right? I focused on the negative, the bad part. But the Bible got it right. It only focused on that for one verse. 
And the rest of the verses were about Jesus and the difference that he made in the life. When my, te- when my teenagers tell their story and share their testimony, I remind them of this all the time. Your story is not how bad it was. Your story is not how bad it is. Your story is how good God is. Your story is how God intervened, how God changed things, how God made a difference. Sure, you have to mention some of the bad, but that's not your story. What God did is your story. And so the way I see it, when we get our story right, when we tell it right, we finally get a picture that everybody likes. So I've got one. The thing that is most beautiful is out front. And you can see it and you can focus on it. And all the junk of our own lives, all the junk that we've experienced fades into the blurred background And all you see is what's beautiful. A story worth sharing is about God. We find that in the rest of our Philippians passage where it says, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. The story is his. And if we're going to live a story worth telling, It has to be his story. So let's consider him. Let's consider who he is. He's the creator of all things. He's the creator of the universe. He's the creator of you. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He cares about you. He's always good. He is always just. He's always holy. He loves you no matter what you have done. You are important to him And he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you, that you could be forgiven of your sins, and he would cast those sins as far as the east is from the west, and you can live your life in a perfect relationship with him. And so he gave it all. He gave it all for us. He gave it all for you. What are we willing to give him? Are we willing to give him the focus of our life? Are we willing to crop stuff out of our life so that he can be the center, so that we can be who he wants us to be. So what's your focus? What's your focus on? I challenge you today to consider, do you need to change the focus of your life? I challenge you today to consider, do you need to crop something out of your life? And I challenge you to tell your story. Whatever opportunity you have, Tell your story of what God has done in your life. So the praise team is going to come back up and the altar is going to be open. And if you want to come this morning and maybe lay some things here, crop some things out of your life and leave it so that God can take the focus of your life, the altar is open for you. If you need to make a decision to come and join this church, uh, we'll be down front and you can do that. But let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your son that came and died on the cross that we could be forgiven of our sins. God, we thank you that you are trying to do a new thing. And you don't focus on failures of the past, sins of the present, but that you want us to follow you and chase after you in the new thing that you're trying to do in our lives, God. 
as we respond today. We ask that you speak to our hearts. 